try and warm you up here on the Out of the Box podcast. It is episode 24 overall, our second episode of season three. I'm Greg Robertson in Birmingham, hoping that I do not get iced out on my way back home from recording this tonight. Tom Canterbury, my partner, is back in Tuscaloosa. Tom, hello. How are you? Doing good. Yeah, I'm uh, all bundled up here at home in T-Town, and uh, the plan is I probably won't be leaving the house until Wednesday. Uh, It's a mini quarantine thing right now at the Canterbury house. But it has nothing to do with COVID or anything like that. It's just because it's so cold. I was going to say, oh, no, quarantine. We haven't done that before. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Welcome uh, back to April is basically what is happening right now, except for much, much colder. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've uh, <laughs> we've got a big show coming up. Of course, tweet us. Follow us at outofthebox underscore pod. Like, share, subscribe, yada, yada, yada. I mean, it's going to be a big show, Tom. A lot happened in opening weekend. Also, a lot didn't happen thanks to the Mother Nature reference that we just made. It's cold everywhere. There's ice everywhere. It won't stop snowing unless you're in California. We had like a generational winter storm as far as the size of it. I saw uh, there's a forecast that shows the entire United States. And like this thing, it's over like half the country. Right now, it's a, that is under some sort of weather warning, ice, snow of some sort. And a lot of it is areas of the country that's not used to it. So we bunker down when that type of stuff happens. I'm kind of tired, Tom, of generational stuff affecting us in the last 12 months. I don't know about you. Right. Yeah, if we could stop all this, that'd be, if we just be normal for a little while, that'd be awesome. Not everything has to be historic, okay? Right. <laughs> we It can be just a regular winter storm. Things that just happen all the time instead of ones that happen once in a generation. That'd be awesome. That would be great. All right. So we're going to get more into the weather in a minute. But first, here's your trip around the bases. We're going to start at the plate and talk about Alabama's opening weekend. Last week in the premiere, when we talked about Alabama's opening weekend, we previewed games that did not even happen. And we're going to discuss the games that actually did at the plate. Then we will advance to first, break down week one in the SEC. Tom, kind of a weird opening weekend for the conference really the conference overall struggled more than any of the other power five leagues yeah we saw a couple teams take a couple of losses to teams that are not power five and and then we saw about half the league not even get to play so it's hard to make too much of a judgment on a week one where there was so much weather so much other issues going on but I think we got to see a little bit of something from some of these teams we'll talk about it yeah we will and then we're going to talk with Jen Schroeder as we steal second on the podcast. The former UCLA catcher, the ESPN analyst, the seven innings podcast contributor is going to tell us why the Bruins are really good because they look really good. They played one game and and I'm already sold. (laughs) Well, like I say, she's much more qualified than I am, but I could tell you that. I mean, I I still want to talk to Jen, but I mean, yeah, UCLA is really good. Yeah, then we will round third, answer some mail. It's fan mail, not not fans of us, but fans of softball. Okay, well, yeah. you know, we'll take what we can get. Yeah, and then we'll dig into some of the big non-SEC games in week two. And finally, Tom, we will head home, and good gracious, we've got SEC top five power rankings, a unique Tom's Hungry, and <laughs> an off-the-wall that I have been preparing since Sunday afternoon because, man, oh, man, people just are never satisfied. If you thought I was uh... – revved up last week wait until you hear this one all righty let's start at the plate let's talk about Alabama's opening weekend Tom we were going to Austin we were three and a half hours away two and a half hours away from Tuscaloosa I was three and a half hours away from where my journey started in Birmingham 
and we were in line at Nukes. We'll get to that later. But we got the call. The tournament was canceled. After looking at the weather and how things have played out this weekend, pretty glad we're not there. Our friend Amanda right. Scarborough lives in the Austin area. She's got eight inches of snow around her yeah. house. So, you know, just crazy weather. We're thinking about all those people out there because it really is something that the, the folks in Texas never have to deal with. But that meant four new games. Somehow Alabama and Patrick Murphy were able to scramble, talk to the people at Alabama State and head coach Todd Bradley, talk to Notre Dame and talk to Louisville and get four games in. Really just a remarkable effort at all to play softball this opening weekend. I mean, it really was. And again, you got to give credit to everybody that was involved with that, the administrations of all those schools and the coaches that were willing to bring in a, a, a top 10 team and willing to play them when they weren't on the schedule originally. And it just kind of went to show you, too, I think had it been a normal opening weekend where you weren't coming off of a 10-plus 10, 10 month layoff, you may not work so hard to try to get to play game games in 30-something degree weather, but you just really wanted to play some games. I could understand Patrick Murphy wanting that. We really wanted it. We wanted to call the games. And a great job by everybody involved to get those games to happen. And great focus by these by the Alabama team to have that great competitive focus to come out and, and look pretty dang sharp uh, all the way around, especially in the circle. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a pretty shut down trip to Montgomery. One game on Friday against Alabama State, one on Saturday against Notre Dame, both 10-0, five-inning run rule victories. We'll start with the Alabama State game. A perfect game, the first combined perfect game in program history, the fifth overall perfect game in Alabama history. It was Montana Fouts for four innings of just, I mean, insane, insane pitching. And Sarah <laughs> Cornell to finish it off. Couldn't have asked for a better start for Montana Fouts, who was voted SEC Pitcher of the Week this week. And rightfully so. I mean, yes, we understand it was Alabama State, not the competition you were planning on playing. It wasn't the Texas or Arizona offense. But all that being said, it was impressive that Montana Fouts could have done that against air, much less an opponent. They could have played 10, 15 more innings, and I don't know if Alabama State would have touched Montana. She was just absolutely focused and on point the entire evening, and great job by her. Sarah came in and did a good job as well. Uh, so I think that was a heck of a start for Alabama. Yeah, and then Notre Dame, I mean, just as effective. I think that Notre Dame, and and this is something I talked to Tara Henry about after the game was over, but I think Notre Dame is better than a 10 nothing five-inning loss to Alabama, but you can't make the defensive mistakes that they did, and it cost them dearly, allowing eight runs in the top of the fifth. Yeah, that became a theme all weekend long for Alabama. Uh, the opponents you just made too many mistakes, and Alabama did a great job of taking advantage of that. Uh, but that's, you know, if you're looking to, to upset a top-ranked team, you can't have errors, you can't have mental mistakes, especially in the field. And unfortunately for them, both Notre Dame and Louisville did that. Yeah, and, and you're right. You bring up Louisville, doubleheader sweep, 5 nothing the first game, 4 nothing the second game. We were in attendance. I think we were we counted, so I guess the attendance was two. Pretty dominant, again, not the offensive showcase you might have expected, not the offensive showcase we saw last year when those teams matched up. But overall, again, two pretty complete games for the Crimson Tide. Never in doubt whatsoever. Yeah, and, and in no way making excuses, but – it was going to be hard for offenses to have any success in the conditions that they were in. It was so brutally cold. And we talk about it with coach Murphy all the time. I said, weather warms up, the bats warm up a lot of the times. And especially with being that cold, the opening weekend, 
facing a couple of pitchers that you you weren't able. I'm sure you got some study in. We talked about and gave a lot of credit to Scott Moyer and the the video putting up the the clips. So there was they were able to do some scouting, but not near what they had done probably for Texas and Arizona. So you kind of go in a little bit blind. Alabama did what they needed to do offensively. Not the power showcase you could have seen probably if this happens in maybe the first week of March instead of, you know, the second week of uh, February. But overall, Alabama did what they had to do, got the wins. And it doesn't matter if there is any off issues. If the opponent never scores, it's not going to be a problem. Yeah, so let's look at the weekend as a whole, Tom. We'll start with the pitching. Fouts, SEC Pitcher of the Week, 11 innings, one hit, one walk, 20 strikeouts. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Like it seems like her freshman campaign all over again. She was really hammering the strike zone. I need to go back and see how many first pitch strikes there were comparatively, but man, oh man, it seemed like she was ahead 0-2-1-2 every single batter that she faced. When there are issues with Montana Faust, that's part of the problem is that she gets behind batters and then has to to battle back. And Montana Faust was not getting behind anybody this weekend. I think we made a point of it. The first game against Alabama State, she threw two balls to start off the first batter. And then after that, was it eight the entire rest of the game? Right. <laughs> I mean, my gosh. <laughs> and when you're in the zone and just firing it past people, you're not allowing the the offense to get anything going. Uh, you're not giving them anything as far as walks. Or, you look at the one hit, the one hit was kind of a dribbler that just barely got past her up the middle. So, I mean, it n- nobody was able to do anything as Montana fouls all weekend and if that's the Montana we're going to get all season long, Alabama's going to be really tough to beat. Yeah, we're going to talk about what we think or slash hope the pitching staff looks like here in the Eastern Bama Bash coming up this weekend. Fouts was great. Kilfoyle right there as well. She had a couple more innings of, I guess, quote unquote, concern. But those were also the innings where Alabama had their first errors defensively of the season. So I'm not totally faulting Lexi for that. But when she was on, it, it was just as effective in the circle. Yeah, she she was fine. I actually was kind of glad to see her have to kind of battle herself out of a couple of jams, just trying to see how the Alabama team was going to react to that because there was at no point in the first three games that Alabama played where it was the game was ever in any any doubt whatsoever. Um, yep. The fourth game against Louisville was the only times in third and the fifth inning when Al- when the game was tied and Alabama had a three run lead when the Cardinals loaded the bases that, okay, now let's see how we do when there's a little bit of pressure and tide was fine. When, when your rough innings are ones that still the opponent never scores, I think you're okay. Yeah. You'll take it. And again, both innings where errors happen defensively. And then, you know, we saw Sarah Cornell for an inning. She got to close it out against, uh, against Alabama state. And then Jayla Torrance closed it out against Notre Dame. Both look good. Torrance, obviously some nervy stuff, but not enough, I think, to to judge very much about their performance. I expect to see, especially Sarah Cornell, a lot more this weekend. Yeah, hopefully this weekend in the Bama Bash, uh, you get five games, so you get an extra game. You can see how how different people can work in. Hopefully you get some better weather as well uh, because it's no fun to hit in that type of weather. It's not really a lot of fun to pitch in that weather either. You know, we, never, we didn't get to see anything from Crystal Goodman this weekend. See a little bit more than just one inning from both Jayla and Sarah combined with what Tana and Lexi Kilfoyle do. So uh, there's there's still a lot to know, but I think everything's a positive as we stand right now. As I was sitting around yesterday after the game decompressing, I, I came up with 
uh, a new song. I'm not going to sing the whole thing, but it is a spoof of the 12 days of Christmas called oh, the wow. 12 stats of opening weekend. And number two was two slappers slapping because my goodness, Alyssa Brown and Alexis Mack just could not stay off base. Brown, six for nine, nine for nine stolen bases. Mack, six of 11, two RBI, four for five stolen bases. And you know, I'm kind of okay with her not getting the one because it allowed our guest Jen Schroeder to be really happy for Notre Dame catcher Carly Kloss. <laughs> I mean, man, if your table setters are on base like that, it's going to be pretty tough to beat Alabama this year. It really is. And and we saw them being being able to do it in different ways as well. We saw Mac and, and Alyssa both had normal hits and then they had slap hits and they had bunt hits. And then they showed that they have not missed, you know, lost a step. If anything, they've gotten faster during this time off and uh, Alyssa great to see her back hundred percent. Of course, I mean, we knew she was going to be back. You know, had the season not been shut down last year, she was coming back either that week or the week after from her broken hand anyway, but, and everybody you saw just a, a renewed sense of uh, appreciation for being out there. And then they were going to do everything they could to execute what they were asked to do. And, and for the most part, Alabama did that. So that part of the offense was really good. Uh, Bailey Dowling's mm-hmm. debut, also really, for a freshman, pretty strong. Three for 10, fine, you'll take it, but first career home run and driving wins. I made the reference, I think it was in the premiere, but it might have been earlier, that I thought we would see the same trajectory that Skylar Wallace had as a freshman for Dowling. Technically, she is off to a better opening weekend start than Wallace had, and it took Skylar Wallace to the SEC tournament to have a driving home run into the wind and Dowling did it in her fourth game. Yeah. So there you go. So I, I think everything is, is said as far as that goes, but she did a great job and especially considering that she had the errors in the field and, and didn't let that affect her at the plate. You know, sometimes when, when players have a miscue on one side of the field, they, they it brings to the other side, but Bailey did a good job of, of being on base of driving in runs and getting that home run, as you mentioned, showing why Patrick Murphy, even in the first weekend, had no problem putting her in the four hole. All right, speaking of Bailey's, Tom, Hemphill off to a much better start, five for 11, five RBI, and yet I still feel like she's not hitting that well. <laughs> They're all singles. So, I mean, that's not, you know, you're when you're used to Bailey Hemphill, you're used to seeing some doubles and home runs sprinkled in there, and I think those are coming. If If we're having the conversation after the first week of the SEC – that she still hasn't hit a home run or it's only hit two like it was last season. Then I think maybe there's an issue, but she did a good job of just putting the ball in play and she had the opportunity and those singles will, will eventually become gappers and home runs pretty soon. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't look great. It's, it's not sexy, but it's providing runs for Alabama's offense. And then the two other players, I think that I wrote down that, you know, had, Fine. Opening weekends, KB sides and Kaylee Tao sides on base a lot, but only three hits. One of those, a, a, a double that drove in a run against Louisville. That was probably her most well-struck ball of opening weekend. And then Kaylee Tao had the home run against Alabama State the rest of the weekend. You know, not quite as solid at the plate, but we know that those two are going to come around at some point. And, and those averages, while they might be quote unquote low for them, that's not going to be where they end up. The batting average may be one thing, but their on-base percentage is another, and the on-base is fine for both those. We're actually very happy to see both KB and and Kaylee Tao draw some walks and get on base that way and because that was something that we weren't seeing as much, especially from Tao last year. So between that and also to see uh, Tao being 
healthy and ready to play first base, played at all four games, and her having a solid spot there at first, other than the games when Bailey is not going to catch, you know, if Bailey's going to play first and then maybe Tau can DP or things like that. So there's a lot of what you could do it. Uh, that just is another piece of the puzzle for Patrick Murphy. In terms of slowish starts, you could point to Jenkins. She only had two hits in opening weekend. Now both did drive in three runs. So you'll take it. I mean, if those are when she gets her hits, fine. Jenna Johnson, two hits, both were on opening night. And Savannah Woodard, not quite the start you'd want. But I mean, again, not much concern for me. I know Patrick Murphy's shown a lot of belief in Johnson. Jenkins, I didn't expect her to come out and hit 600 off of a year and a half off the game. And then Woodard. I think that'll come around as well. There's one thing we talked with Patrick Murphy about in one of the pregame interviews was that she came up twice with the bases loaded in the first game and stranded the bases loaded twice. And he thought that, you know, some, some of the girls when they were coming up were having, you know, putting too much pressure on themselves to drive in every, everybody on base in those bases loaded situations when they need to be focusing on just driving in one. And then, you know, anybody else that comes in is gravy and hopefully is what, Savannah Woodard needs to hear moving forward. Infield drama, Tom. Are you ready mm. for this? Uh-oh. This was not what I was expecting. Who starts where? How does this work? I wrote it down. I see five overall infield positions for eight players. Catcher, first all the way to third. For Tao, Hemphill, Door, Morgan, Clark, Woodard, Jenkins, Dowling. You can throw Mack in there if you're trying to get her and Johnson in the lineup. And then... Three positions for five players, six with Mac included. When you look around second, short, and third, I mean, are we just going to see musical chairs all spring long? I think that's very possible. It just depends on who's hitting, who's hot at the time. Alabama has enough depth where they're not going to have to just ride somebody to try to get themselves out of it. There's enough other people to come in. Bottom line is there are more than nine players on the scene that are worthy of a starting position. As far as being in the field, 10 as far as with the DP. So there's going to be people that are starting softball player in the SEC that aren't going to start in, in, <laughs> in these games because there's just not enough positions. I think that deals with it. And you mentioned the infield positions. When you have Alexis Mack out there that can come in to play the infield, so there are four or five worthy outfield starters. If you're wanting to try to get all them in, that takes one spot away from the infield. So yep. now you're even one less in the infield. Or if there's a game where you want Lexi Gilfoyle to hit, that's one even less as far as DP goes. So it's a puzzle that Patrick Murphy is going to be putting together every day. I don't think people should be reading into if certain people are starting or not starting that there's an issue there. It's just maybe there's a matchup that works up there. Maybe someone's hitting better in practice. There's a lot of different things that, that can work out there. I agree. I think that, you know, don't press the panic button if you don't see somebody for a game or two. I remember last year, Tao was out for a couple of days of the Bama Bash just because Patrick Murphy wanted to try Taylor Clark and it was her senior yeah. day as well. But I mean, we've seen him move all the pieces around anyway in years where there have been 19 players on the roster. This year, you've added three, four, five of those. It's going to just be the way it goes. I mean, there's not much more to say. And if someone's dealing with like a nagging injury that rest is the only thing that's going to help it, you can afford to maybe give that person a week off to let them rest and and get healthy because you have enough other people to cover everything. So uh, you're not going to have to force somebody to go out there at 60, 70% 
if you got somebody else that can do it just as well to hundred. Uh, so uh, I think you may see that as, as it goes along. So I don't think you need to something else. We hear a lot. Well, this person's obviously injured because they're not playing Not not necessarily, or they could just be, you know, minorly injured and not be a, a major issue. Uh, but they just need to be out for a couple of games to rest it up and, and be ready for the home stretch. All right, Tom, let's look ahead. The Easton Bama bash. We've got a doubleheader with Liberty on Friday. That will be broadcasted by us on radio. And we are also the radio team, or I guess the broadcast team for the SEC Network Plus stream. So good luck if you're trying to get away from us. You cannot. You cannot. Sorry. <laughs> and that's the case the whole weekend. Doubleheader with Gardner-Webb on Saturday, LSU on Sunday. So, Tom, the age-old question that we both know will be wrong from both of us. We're going to do our <laughs> best anyway. Okay. Pitching rotation. You want to go first? I would say I think you do Montana and Lexi on Friday and then Montana against LSU and then maybe against Gardner-Webb. Maybe that's where you start. I'll say Sarah in one game and Jayla in the other game. See, I went Liberty game one, Fouts, Liberty game two, Kilfoyle, Gardner-Webb game one, Goodman. Got to get her in at some point. Yeah. Gardner-Webb game two, Cornell, LSU, Fouts, and get Torrance a chance in there to close one of them. Okay. Either one of those are fine with me. I mean, I I just think that bottom line – Montana fouts against LSU. Got to happen, yeah. right? <laughs> I think that's the one that I will be shocked if we're incorrect about. In the others, you, you could switch it around. I think it just depends on if Patrick Murphy and Stephanie Van Breckel pro throw see maybe a matchup with Liberty or Gardner-Webb that might favor one to the other. But if it was just, you know, against blind opponents, um, I think that the rotations that either one of us said would be fine. I'm interested to see what this team does with a full – tournament style i mean this is five games in three days this is essentially what we were trying to do in opening weekend but never got a chance we talked about it too that the schedule is a little bit different than how tournaments are usually done uh, that alabama hosts uh, to kind of minimize the amount of times that different teams cross each other's paths and that the dugouts change that type of thing so Alabama's going to play the two two games against the same team on back-to-back days and the one game against uh, the one the other team they haven't played yet and that's how the tournaments are going to be I think all three of them are set up that way this year in Tuscaloosa so this is one of those things that we're all dealing with the flexibility we got to be flexible right that's right oh we're going to get to that that. yes (laughs) oh and before we go congratulations to Patrick Murphy 1100 wins at Alabama I saw everybody from all the coaches at Alabama to legend don staley at south carolina tweeting about it so congrats to our pal murph that was uh that was really cool the that was one of the you know the frustrating things about not having any fans there sure would have been a bigger reception with his 1100th victory in game number one against louisville but the admiration is obvious everybody that's comments ball team sent him a special video and all different things it's 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 just really cool and it's impressive to see how much he's affected other people that aren't his necessarily his players yeah. are, you know, that it's, it's a, it's an obvious thing that, you know, one of the best and is, and it shows, you know, uh, everybody can just cheer this Friday. Yeah. We'll, we'll do that's, it retroactively. <laughs> that's one thing that, uh, that is really, that hurts this year. Can't get in the, the clubhouse and get all the goodies that are usually in there. Mm-hmm. There's so many Very cookies. Mm. Disappointing. If they want to bring them up to the press box. We'll take them. <laughs> we'll tell Kate. That'll be yeah. that'll be an errand she runs <laughs> this upcoming weekend. <laughs> All right, Tom. It's time to advance the first. Who are we? Let's go with Alyssa Brown today. Start okay. things off because she was on base all the time. Not that Alyssa right. Smack wasn't, but we'll go with Alyssa. 
So this is the rare time where she gets on base and we're not stealing. <laughs> we're okay, just gonna right. hold off <laughs> and it advance the first. Yeah, it. You know, not often, but it does happen. Sometimes <laughs> she just wants to take a break. She doesn't have to run all the time, y'all. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> but it's time to advance the first. We are Alyssa Brown. We've put it in play. It's time to talk about the SEC. Week one was weird. We're going to get into it. Missouri, LSU, Georgia, Florida, Auburn. We're going to talk about all of it when we get back here on the Out of the Box podcast. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome back. I love that anchor ad, Tom. Don't you? It's the best. <laughs> it is. Just like Alabama was, at least pitching-wise, in week one. Some of the <laughs> offensive stats, there were a couple of SEC teams that were quote-unquote better. I mean, we're going to talk about that here as we advance the first on the Out of the Box podcast. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury. Tom, because we were remote Friday and Saturday, and because... There was nothing happening on Sunday, pretty much. We actually got to see a lot of the SEC teams here this weekend. Yeah, we, we did. We were uh, set up and, and were able to peruse the SEC Network and SEC Network Plus and uh, some of the other sports stations that, that were airing things, even if it was just streaming-wise. And saw a lot of, a lot of good softball. Uh, everybody kind of dealing with the same elements, except unless you were out, out west of, uh, of the cold and, and sometimes rain, but they – People got in whatever they could and uh, saw some good stuff and saw some things that were kind of would be worrisome to me if I was if I was covering a couple of teams. Yeah, I want to start with Missouri. You know, they went to Tallahassee, everything. Maybe they went through the portal and that's why we have this snowmageddon coming in. Maybe that's what happened. I don't know if we should give Larissa a call and see if they're okay. (laughs) (laughs) Everything okay? Everybody all right? But did you go through the Stargate? I was I saw a Snapchat from volunteer assistant Michaela Transu and they were riding a bus back to Missouri today. So I sure hope oh. they made it home. I mean oh, that no. that looked tough. From Tallahassee? I think so. It oh, was no. in Tennessee, the video. So I have to assume yeah. they went through on the way oh. to Columbia. That's mm. rough. It is rough, but it was a good weekend. I mean, yeah. you know, things went well. The Tigers went three and one. They split with Florida State, doing so without Jazz Rollin. And from what I understand, she'll be back next week. So that's good to hear for the Fighting Tigers. Pretty impressive. Wilmus hit 538. Hattie Moore hit 364 with six RBI. Here's the thing, Tom. We know what we're going to get with Missouri for the rest of the year. Every game is going to be like 10 4. 9-5, 11-6, because they yeah. go with the pitch by committee. Jordan Weber looked good. She had the best showing of anybody going eight and two-thirds and only giving up an earned run. But, I mean, they're not going to shut many offenses down, and that's just the way it is. But luckily for them, they've got the offense to back it up. Yeah, I mean, you guys got to play to your strengths if you're in a position like Missouri is, and that's what they do. So that means that does mean there'll be some high-scoring games. There'll be some games where – 
they're down and they'll be able to come back. There'll be some games though where they're up and the other team will come back on them. Uh, we saw that uh, in game number one against Florida State. They had a lead and, and the Seminoles came back. But game number two, they did a good job of uh, taking that lead and holding on to it. So I, I think if you'd have told Missouri before the before the weekend started, they would be three and one with a split of the Seminoles. I think they would take it. I think we're both of the mindset, Tom, that Missouri is just there, there will be no sweeps involved. They won't sweep anybody. They won't get swept. That's just going to be how they are this year. They're a team that, that can beat anybody in the conference, but if someone is hitting real well, they could they be, get beat pretty easily too. So, yeah, I, I, I would be shocked if anybody either sweeps or gets swept by Missouri. I think, I think there'll be more two ones and one twos, though. I totally agree with that. I mean, that's why we both have Missouri in the top five, right? Yep. And, yep. and because of my prediction, Larissa finally followed me back on Twitter. Hey, all right. There you go. That's what it's all about. It was a real win this weekend. So now I'm followed <laughs> by Heather Tarr, Larissa Anderson, many random coaches that we talk about. And speaking of Heather Tarr, we will discuss the Huskies later on in mm. this episode. She might unfollow you after this that discussion. Uh, yikes. Don't, don't do it, Heather. Come on, I'm still a fan. <laughs> all right, let's move on to this weekend's opponent, LSU. I mean, two and one. They lose to Duke, 8-4. They really struggle with Kansas. It was a 5-3 win. They were down 3-2 pretty late. I don't know if I'm fully saying LSU's trash. They're going to be outside the top five in the SEC. I've seen some people on message boards saying LSU was so overrated, yada, yada. It's opening weekend. Let's calm down. It was freezing right. in Baton Rouge. But that yeah. being said, it's impossible to not have some concerns about these results. Yeah, I'm not going to jump off the, the LSU bandwagon because of that weekend by any stretch because of the, the different conditions you're dealing with. It was so cold. You're taking on a Duke team that has the capability to win in those type of situations. They beat Texas last year. I mean, there's that they're a good team in any, any one given day, any one game, they can do that to you. So yeah, I, I wouldn't be that too worried if you're an LSU fan at this point, but I think the way that it went last weekend makes it even bigger for them to come to Tuscaloosa next weekend and, and have a good showing. Yeah, I'm more concerned about the hitting. The team BA was 289. That That's not good. That should be better against Kansas. I mean, Kansas yeah. is not known for their pitching or no. much of anything on the softball diamond. So <laughs> I, I expect more, honestly. Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, I'm not saying they're, that everything is hunky-dory, but I'm not saying that people should be, you know, jumping off bridges yet either. Yeah, this is an interesting team. I've got way more stats. We're going to get into it this weekend. Make sure you watch or listen on SEC Network Plus or on 93.3 FM. We've got the app. We've got the website. I can't keep telling people this because I probably typed out the website at least 40 times on Saturday and Sunday. I'm I'm getting tired of it, Tom. Just bookmark it. It's not hard. (laughs) (laughs) I wish we wouldn't try to keep it a secret whenever we're on the air, though. Great. We We shouldn't be doing that. I can't believe this Alabama team never has coverage. How dare no, we? No one, no one at all, no media involved whatsoever. <laughs> all right. You ready to talk about Florida? Yeah. I, uh, yeah. yeah. Talk about Florida. Yeah, it was it was quite the uh, the opening day. Now, another team that had a final game postponed, LSU did as well. Missouri did as well. Florida's game three against South Florida canned i think they're going to maybe try and do it at some point but who knows they did get the sweep on saturday a 6-3 victory where they got three runs in the seventh uh, over the bulls and then the second game a 15-0 five inning run rule just absolute destruction 
Charlotte Eccles, player of the week, six for six, double, triple, home run, six RBI. The rest of the offense was fine. Hannah Adams, 571. Cheyenne Lindsay hit 750. It was good to see a couple of the FGCL players get in. We're going to talk about that later on in this segment. Sarah Longley had an RBI. Kenzie Gales had an RBI. But overall, I, I saw good stuff from Florida. Nothing that really changed my opinion. Yeah, the fact that they needed a, a seventh inning. Uh, South Florida gave them everything they wanted there in game one, but might put all their eggs in that game one basket because game two, it was a, it was a slaughter by Florida. Um, they're going to be good. And I think they kind of showed that there. Still interested to see what South Florida does now because they, they always seem like they're confident in themselves that they're going to be able to do things and then don't always do that. Uh, seems to be a, a trend, a common thread in the schools in Florida that are not Florida, Florida State, and Miami in every sport. <laughs> Uh-oh. Is that a yeah. dig to uh, just, today's news and the new head coach of UCF football? <laughs> I mean, just a little bit. I mean, not many times you see mascots knighting coaches, but – that, that's a thing that happened. 2021, still weird. Still weird. <laughs> Although that being said, I don't know if there's ever been a better marriage of coach and university than Gus Malzahn and UCF. It just makes sense. It's perfect. It's, I mean, come on, it's perfect. It's perfect, people. We know it's perfect. In the circle for Florida, Natalie Lugo, okay. Three and two thirds, three earned runs given up. Chronister and Hightower were shut down. You know, again, it's USF. USF right. is mainly surrounding Georgina Cork in the circle. I, you know, their offense is fine, but nothing to write home about. We'll see what the Gators do when things step up a bit. Like we said, you know, with Alabama, they don't, they don't give out national championships in February. You can't lose it or win it in how you play to start off the season. Uh, I don't think you can make final judgments, obviously, based on, on how things start off in the season. You can sometimes uh, spotlight and target some issues, but I think Florida's kind of in that that camp of we haven't been able to target any issues yet. So let's let's see how things go when they step up in competition. All right, let's go to Troy and talk about the team from the SEC that was there for a tournament. Ole Miss opening the Jamie Traxel era at two and two, and just just four wildly different games. You've got an eight two win over UAB, right? A five two loss to Troy, a run rule of Belmont ten two, and then losing in a run rule to UAB. I mean, why, yeah. what, what's going on? Yeah. Well, and that's a performance like what we saw this weekend from Ole Miss is going to be one of the reasons why they are not predicted to do very much in this conference, just because uh, they're going to be very inconsistent. They're going to be, I'm not going to say they're going to be terrible, but they're going to be inconsistent. So they're going to be able to maybe rise up and, and get a win or two. They're not supposed to. Um, they're very capable. If there's anybody in the league that I think could get swept uh, multiple times or in danger of being swept multiple times, it's going to be somebody like Obis. Yeah, um, I was surprised not to see Maddie Banks in the starting lineup. I thought, oh, okay, you know, this is going to be a year where maybe just players are out for a weekend, whether it's injury or COVID related, you know, who knows? She came in as a pinch runner and I thought, oh, so she's just not in the lineup. Thought that was a little odd. Team yeah. batting average was not good, 2.69. Team ERA not good, 4.08. I mean, I, I think, like you said, this is going to be an Ole Miss team that's facing an uphill battle all year long. You know, and not that – I mean, Troy and UAB are not bad teams, but they're not at the upper echelon of group of five teams either. So that's a, that's a tough start for Coach Traxel and company. Arkansas played one game. 
Mm. And they lost to Oklahoma State 12 to 11. <laughs> it's a wild game. They got they got their money's worth in the one game, that's for sure. All right, they trailed 10-3. Then they were winning, and then Oklahoma State scored two runs in the seven. So Arkansas loses. Uh, you saw three pitchers for the Razorbacks and Courtney Diefel. Interestingly, none of them autumn storms. Now, there is no video. There is no radio. We don't know if she was there. We don't know if she was available. You mean there I were have... game? You mean there was a game with two top twenty-five teams that there was absolutely no coverage of? None? How dare they? What? What in the world are we living in? <laughs> Sorry. Continue with, you, with I, your thoughts. I, I no, apologize. You, you, you took me off, but I agree. Again, <laughs> we're getting ahead of ourselves. Off the wall is coming up Sorry. in the heading yes, home segment. You are correct. Sorry. Yes. But if Autumn Storms was available. Uh, why was she not brought in? That would be my question. I don't want to speculate too hard because we don't know, but well, they didn't, well, they didn't know that that was the only game they were going to play. Right. That's true. But, but also, I mean, just a rough, a rough day for the other three pitchers, half bloom and Howell gave up a combined eight earned runs and, and yeah, the defense failed them a couple other times, but that's, that's still too many runs, Tom. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's, uh, you can't give up double-digit runs and expect to win very many games. The fact they had the offense to be able to come back and have a chance to win that game is impressive. But, I mean, that's the type of game you get, especially at the beginning of the season sometimes uh, with two top 10 or top 25 teams. I wouldn't take too much into it because it might have been a situation they were supposed to play later. And Coach Stifel might have been, well, we don't want to show Autumn Storms to them in this game. We're going to throw them without seeing her in the second game. Uh, so that would be probably my thinking behind we didn't why we didn't see Autumn Storms, but the fact that Mary Half didn't have a very good performance is a little bit worrisome. Yeah, I mean, she was supposed to be healthy. That was what we were told. And yeah. she got off to a great start. I think she either had two strikeouts or struck out the side in the first inning, and then after that, it just ugh, it was bad. Now, yeah. Again, three errors from offense. the defense, not helpful. And, yeah, Oklahoma State, not bad either. <laughs> right. That's a good offense to go against, and if you're having any type of issues at all, uh, they're going to be able to score and score in bunches, and that's what they did to get that lead. Again, great job by this Arkansas offense, which is one of the reasons why I, I have them as high as I do in, in my preseason picks in the conferences. I you know, I think their offense is going to be able to do a good job of uh, complementing what they have in the circle. But that being said, you're going to need more from Autumn Storms. I mean, from uh, Mary Half, if they are going to be toward the top part of this conference. All right, a couple more teams we need to get to as we're advancing to first here on the Out of the Box podcast. Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury here. Georgia, one of our upset victims. They lost to South Alabama, a team the Crimson Tide will face later on in the year. They had to come back and beat Virginia. Sydney Chambly, freshman. She was SEC co-freshman of the week. She went five for six, had three triples in opening weekend, which is <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> that's Yeah, that's tough to do. Mary Wilson Avent, 13 innings. Nine hits, five runs, all earned, three walks, 23 strikeouts. And yet, I'm not, I'm again, very hesitant about Georgia. They did not show me anything this weekend in the wins that made me say, oh, yes, my concerns are lifted. (laughs) And the loss, obviously, is not great, even though they had a chance to win. I think they had the bases loaded in the bottom of the seventh with nobody out and couldn't get a run across. Well, I, I think that makes the loss even worse then, that they had the opportunity there in the seventh and they weren't able to get it done. So I think there's still some question marks for Georgia. Olivia and kind of shown uh, with a loss to South Alabama. They got some tougher non-conference games coming up and uh, they're going to have to get some things right before those come up. 
Yeah, Kentucky as well had an interesting opening weekend. They swept Samford, the last one of 12 nine games that were trailing early. Then they came back, and then Samford got back in the game, yada, yada. You know how it goes with some of these sweeps by the enigmas in the conference. But I think the big story was Aaron Koffel, the freshman, eight for 12, five RBI. You know, Coach Lawson talked about her when we had media days, and and she came up big for the Wildcats. Yeah, I mean, if she's she's going to do that, for Kentucky, then uh, it may not be as much pressure on the the pitching combo that we're that we've been talking about. And it may be they may be able to do some more offensively than, than what we thought. But I don't know if you can proclaim that. We'll see how they do next weekend. Big weekend for Auburn, Tom. And we didn't even see Samantha Yarbrough pitch, and the pitchers were dominant. That is, I think, a really good sign for Mickey Dean. It is. Uh, and then why did we not see Yarbrough? Well, because Maddie Penta, the SEC co-freshman of the week, went two games and was dominant, including a no-hitter in her first career start. And yeah, well, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that will do it. That will do it for sure. Uh, yeah, if they have a if they have a one-two punch at, at Auburn in the circle, uh, more than it all just being about Yarbrough, then maybe they've been under you know, underrated to start off. We'll see. We'll see again. It's the first weekend. We'll see. Uh, Mississippi State struggled a bit. Emily Williams and URA over 11 right now. Um, they had to score a bunch of runs late to beat Miami of Ohio. Fale Lua, Mia Davidson did their thing. I mean, I didn't learn anything much about Mississippi State. I didn't learn much about Tennessee. And and we didn't learn anything about South Carolina and Texas A&M because their games were rained out. So I think it's, for those four teams, still very much wait and see. If anything, I'm concerned about some of the pitching for Mississippi State. But otherwise, I mean – we need more of a sample size in those four squads. It's hard for me to take too much from the Mississippi State just because we saw some of that game, and wow, it looked miserable. That looked like the coldest of anyone that was actually playing looked. Um, maybe the the night game with LSU and Duke might have been a little bit colder than the doubleheader with Mississippi State and Miami, Ohio, but it's going to be tough to either pitch or hit in that type of condition. So I'm not going to take too much from it. Let's see what they do this weekend with hopefully some more uh, palatable temperatures. Well, we'll see – a couple of those teams this weekend, as I've made the list, well, we'll see everybody this weekend, but a couple in big games. I've made a list, Tom, um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sunday is just LSU Alabama. But the big games in the SEC here in week two, what sticks out to you, partner? Well, I think it's interesting to see Auburn and South Carolina in a non-conference game in Jacksonville. So we able to see a little bit more from the Tigers, see if, uh, if they get – that that one-two punch in the circle. Missouri Baylor is very interesting as well. And then the Colorado State team that we had done some homework on because that was supposed to be Alabama's first opponent uh, taking on Texas A&M. So let's see what they do there. Yeah, I've got my eye on that Saturday doubleheader for Texas A&M, Colorado State and Texas Tech against the Aggies. If they can win both those games, maybe – just maybe this team can be a little bit better than we expected because that's a big test early. Those are two pretty decent squads. Absolutely. SCSEC, Tom, before we steal second and get the sign and talk to Jen Schroeder and do all that fun stuff, it's time for me to introduce a new weekly segment. It is Gray's FGCL Corner. Tom, this is a, a corner, a segment where I'm going to talk about some of the players who played in the FGCL. This is for them. This is for their parents. This is me merging one job with the other in podcast form. And you're going to help me pick the FGCL player of the week. Okay. The nominees after week one are Brianna Roper, 
Georgia Tech, three for 10 week RBI. She drew six walks, which is impressive. Scored seven runs. Ari Quinones from Washington, one for four this week, but that one was a two RBI double in what was, I guess, apparently necessary to make it 16-13 against Southern Utah. <laughs> wow. Washington had the craziest weekend to open the season of anybody, I think. Yeah, we're going to talk about that with Jen coming up. Uh, two <laughs> FAU Owls on here. Summer Baker, three for nine, two RBI. Four for 11 for Sarah Perfume with a triple, two doubles. Uh, Mackenzie Ball, Southern Utah, including a two-for-two game against Washington in that 19-13 loss. Florida State had Devin Flaherty go four for 12 with an RBI, a double, four walks, and Claire Ginder for Furman, the freshman, two for four, two walks, a run scored. I put her on the list as a nominee because no strikeouts. That was something that she struggled with to start the summer season, really chased the rise a lot, and uh, didn't see that in opening weekend. So the summer maybe helped her out. What, what sticks out to you on the list, Tom? Well, Mackenzie Ball, because of the uh, the competition she was going against, I think that's pretty impressive to go two for three with a with a double, couple of walks and runs scored there. Uh, so I would go with either her or uh, Berthume from FAU with the triple and the couple doubles. See, this is why we are so good on radio together. Mackenzie Ball is going to be my pick. <laughs> well, there you go. Two for two against the top five team. Give it to her. Come yes. on. Boom. I don't care if Heather Tarr herself is pitching or if I, I, my grandmother's pitching two for two against a top five team is good. And Washington, I mean, they recruit good pitchers besides yeah. Gabby Plain. Usually and Southern so, Utah yeah. still put up 13 runs. Yeah. I'm fine with going with the Southern Utah nicknames of which I do not know. <laughs> Congratulations, Mackenzie Ball. You're my week one FGCL player of the week. And that's the uh, FGCL corner. We'll keep track of that all year long. Half the people didn't even have stats in week one, which is kind of a shame, but you know, we'll get and to we that. We saw a couple of them with Louisville. Yeah. My girl Wolfie, Jordan Wolf and uh, Paige Schindler was in attendance, I think, or maybe she was at home. I'm not sure, but uh, we were DMing five minutes before the game, but I thought I saw a number four on the field. So I'm not, I'm not totally sure what was going on, but <laughs> they were, they were Louisville people. Yes. <laughs> It's time to steal second. Do you see that, Tom? Do you see it through all the questions about what channel the game is on? <laughs> Somehow I have been able to part the seas and see the sign. We're able to go. Perfect. It's time to steal second. Jen Schroeder is here. I have been informed there is a special guest joining us as well. So we'll oh. get to that. Stay tuned, folks. It's time to steal second. Jen Schroeder on the other side here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury here hanging out, and we are stealing second with one of our favorite people in the entire world, not just softball-related, but everybody. It's the great Jen Schroeder from ESPN. You know her, of course, as the girl in the white shorts, the former <laughs> UCLA catcher, and Seven Innings Podcast, too. Got to make sure we say that and cover all the bases. Jen, hello. I teased a special guest coming into the segment. Rudy, however, is not with you. She's eating It's okay. <laughs> but she was, uh, I, she was ready. I set up a chair for her and everything, and she was just sitting like a big girl, ready. And then no, she went to the gym. <laughs> I have to say though, I saw reports over the weekend that that maybe Rudy kind of leaning Alabama early in her life. 
you know, we did put her in an Alabama jersey for that Alabama Notre Dame game because we had it synced and set up where we could watch or we could listen to you guys on the radio and watch on YouTube. And so I had to put her in a little Alabama jersey. Shout out to Emily P. Tech because that was for sure one of her kids' jerseys. And I need to send it back to Patrick, but I'm just keeping it for now. <laughs> <laughs> but we appreciate the, the extra and the support. Yeah, I was, I was excited. <laughs> Uh, well, Jen, there's so much that we can get into, even though it feels like half the games in week one weren't even played. Um, speaking of that, how's the snow out in LA? Are y'all are y'all doing okay? I mean, it's it's what what time is it here? 5 p.m. and it's probably 64 degrees with the sun setting over the hills, just perfect. Thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have to pay like 60% in taxes or something. So there's that. <laughs> that is true. That is true. You know, we had a lot of weather cancellations. Unfortunately, while we only had a few COVID cancellations, a couple of those had to deal with UCLA, but you got to see the Bruins for one game and it was a heck of a start for, uh, yeah. for the number one team in the country. I mean, and they did that without Maya Brady and Aaliyah Jordan in the lineup. So that tells you how scary that offense is. I was very sad they didn't get to play Cal Poly on Saturday. It would have been a good doubleheader. We always play them pretty competitively and vice versa but I would have just loved to see that lineup hit more, right? Because it's, it's one thing to watch the first game, but it's another thing to get to watch them over the course of a weekend, to see different rotations, to see pitch hitters get opportunities. I mean, we didn't even get to see Rachel Garcia at all. We just saw Megan Faramo. So, um, well, we did see Rachel hit a home run. I was going to say. About Bubba and Rachel in their first at-bats back from Team USA going yard. I text them. I said, you guys sure missed being in a UCLA uniform, didn't you? They're like, you think? <laughs> I mean, do you think was anyone cool. was, do you think anyone was more scared seeing that happen than maybe like Japan? <laughs> I, mean, I know, goodness. right? <laughs> it's crazy. It's just cool for them being away for so long. And obviously, you know, UCLA, if we go back to this, the 2020 shortened season, they didn't think they were going to be as good as they were. I mean, they probably did, but the softball world didn't, right? And so for now, it's, it's, it was a little intimidating for Rachel and Bubba to come back into that lineup on that team. I'll tell you one thing. They don't know who's going to play the outfield for them. They still don't know. Like mm -hmm. you, have, you have Kelly Gooden, Aaliyah Jordan, Maya Brady, and Bubba Nichols. Those are four of the best players in the country all competing for three spots. It's pretty crazy. It's nuts. Uh, another team that we did get to see a few more games of that actually got all theirs in uh, was Washington, a team that is, you know, consensus top five, if not top three in the country. Uh, but they had their struggles. They gave up. They were they they won all their games, but they gave up a lot of runs to Dixie State and Southern Utah. Uh, is this concerning uh, a start for Washington? You know, one thing you have to understand about Heather Tarr in Washington is that she never has cared if she loses early without her ace. It's almost as though she likes it. It's almost as though she likes to have her team be tested early. And that's one thing, if you go back to early Heather Tarr days, like 2009, 2010, her early coaching years, I don't feel like she was that way. The same thing can be said for Kelly I. And so they won dominantly with Gabby playing in the circle. However, can you go a complete season with only one pitcher? I mean, of course, there's Kelly Lynch. Of, of course, there are others. But this weekend, we learned they didn't do that great. So 
when we when I go to vote on these ranking committees, it's really hard for me because I have to think, am I ranking somebody based on their best lineup or their best chance at making it to the World Series? So it's very tough. I think UW is a top five team. Do I think they're a top three team? Mm, probably not. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to overreact, obviously, to week one, but I think I texted you this. It was hard not to look at these Washington results and at least doubt a little bit more their potential to win a national championship because, as we've talked about a lot on this podcast, the days of writing one pitcher, not just you know through the whole postseason, but all season, that's, mm-hmm. that's done. Offenses are too good, and now you add in something we're going to talk about with you later, no bat testing. I mean, the oh. offenses are going to be even better this season. <laughs> And, and if you think, you know, and if it's, if you're Washington and you're the two or three or four pitcher, you still should be able to handle Dixie State or Southern Utah. Tom, you are absolutely right. But I, I will tell you guys, I text Morgan Stewart, you know, UW national champion. And I said, oh man, UW's losing to Dixie State. And her response was, they always do this. So, I mean, I guess that's a some form of confidence, <laughs> but I agree with you, Tom. I do think that they should be able to handle SUU or Dixie State, most definitely. Mm-hmm. I do think that there are three teams in particular that are going to need to score six-plus runs a game to win, and I think that's FSU, LSU, and then UW when Gabby's not pitching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting you say LSU. We're going to get to that in a minute because LSU is featured in a big game coming up this weekend that we'll, we'll talk about as we're chatting with Jen Schroeder. Uh, Jen, I want to touch one touch on one more thing that we just kind of briefly discussed. You know, not a lot of COVID issues this weekend. We saw, I think, two teams, Cal Poly and Florida A&M. I think that was it, at least mm-hmm. officially, that led to cancellations. Everything else was postponed or canceled because of weather. I mean, that's got to be a pretty positive sign for the sport, even though it's just week one. I, I would hope that it's a positive sign. I was getting quite a bit of direct messages or uh, tweets said certain teams, certain programs were not able to start because of COVID, which I'm unsure which teams, I need to do more further research, but I did know that there were some who didn't even schedule because of COVID. Who those were, I don't know. Um, And I do think it's interesting that every league and school has different COVID protocol. Mm -hmm. And I do think that's going to lead to certain teams having to cancel more and certain teams not canceling. And I do think that will translate over into very tough to determine RPI when it comes down to selection Sunday. And I don't necessarily know if the best teams will make the postseason. I think the best managers of those teams will make the postseason. All yeah, because I, of how they manage COVID. Yep, 100% agree. That's gonna be an issue. We've seen it in the other sports as well already. Uh, the one positive is, that softball and baseball are kind of the last ones to go. So they've seen it be done with basketball, football, some of these other sports. So they, they kind of have seen the other ones have their um, trial and errors and hopefully that'll help softball be able to do as much uh, as normal as possible. No doubt. And we're an outside sport. So I think that helps us a ton. Yeah. I mean, you really don't touch the opponents. (laughs) One would hope that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, what's so funny is at UCLA, uh, they, for the national anthem, they stood six feet apart, two lines. So six feet in every single direction with their own teammates. And then their dugout was in the stands. And in my mind, I'm thinking, do you not all play with the same ball and toss it around and touch your hand? I'm very confused about this. Yeah. 
Now, it there's make any sense. <laughs> yeah, we we can't we can't congregate at home plate and celebrate a home run, but then we'll go back in the dugout when everybody's right. together. It, I don't. It's yeah. It, it's that there's a lot of things <laughs> that are <laughs> so, somewhat theatrical with this whole situation. But yeah. uh, one thing you mentioned that, that you watched uh, some of the Alabama games here this weekend and just wanted I to did. see what your thoughts were of the Crimson Tide. Obviously, uh, really solid in the circle. Very, I mean, I think that Alabama, this may be one of Alabama's most well-rounded teams, in my opinion. In fact, uh, when I was doing some rankings today, um, a lot of people had Florida over Alabama in some of the early rankings, not, not in the SEC rankings, but in some of the early rankings. And I fought hard. I said, Alabama, to me, is the best team in the SEC right now, without a doubt. Now let's see how that plays out over time. You know, obviously with competition, teams have not truly been tested as of yet, but I am very impressed with this Alabama team. And I think they're maybe one of the most well-rounded teams from young talent and Bailey Dowling to, you know, older talent and Katie sides to pitching staff, I mean, or Bailey Hemphill, hello, um, to Fouts in the circle. I mean, just truly, and you couple that with their coaching staff they're going to be pretty tough to beat. And I think as everyone talks about UCLA, Oklahoma, UCLA, Oklahoma, UCLA, Oklahoma, that's going to leave that door creep for a team like Alabama to sneak up on everybody and just go about things the right way all season long. And then all of a sudden it's going to be postseason, and people are going to be like, Hey, where did Alabama come from? When really they've been that good all along. I, I can see that happening. See, this is why we like you, Jen. This yeah. is why you're one of our favorite guests. We appreciate that <laughs> <laughs> so much. But I'm also very honest. If I didn't think no, that, sure. I wouldn't be saying it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we know We know you don't hold back. And, and you just said a minute ago, LSU is one of the teams that you think has to score six runs to win. LSU plays Alabama at Rhodes this weekend. You said that, and I thought, oh, then Jen thinks Alabama is probably going to blow out LSU this weekend because I don't see a scenario. We assume it's going to be Montana Fouts. I'd be shocked if it's not, where right. LSU gets more than one run against her on right. Sunday. Well, and you don't, I mean, here's the deal. Sometimes balls fly at roads and there are people on in LSU's roster on LSU's roster that have the chance to, to, to just match up with the ball and send it out. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's always the threat of that is always scary. Uh, but I think that if no one makes the game bigger than it is, if it's simply just, you're playing against the shirts in the other dugout and it happens to be an sec competitor, I think Alabama wins that game handedly. I really do. Mm. But when you make it bigger than it is, and it'll be interesting because are there going to be fans at Rhodes at all? Yeah, thirty uh, percent capacity. Thirty yeah. percent capacity. Oh, okay. which is about a thousand. That's going to be really. fun. Yeah. That's yeah. going to be fun. So to me, to me, Alabama wins that handedly. Handedly, they do. We'll I like see it again. Right. We'll see. Oh. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I was talking to Kelsey Klotz today, former LSU girl, you know, and, and I said, what do you, what do you think? And she's like, did you watch, did you watch the game? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, funny, but it, it just feels like they may be, they just meet maybe a, a few pieces shy of the complete puzzle yeah. at this point in time, another coaching staff that has the potential to develop their players. And that's always, I mean, uh, that's always scary when you've got Beth Torino working with your pitchers, one of the best pitching coaches in the game, you know, you know, second ago you were talking about Oklahoma and UCLA, and it is kind of hard not to think there's that collision course maybe to meet back in the champ series. I'm not taking a ton away from OU's opening weekend. I know they hit a ton of home runs, but UTEP and Abilene Christian are not exactly leading the NCAA and ERA. But 
Patty Gasso sounds pretty confident in this team. I know y'all talked about it on seven innings. We've yeah. read and heard in other scenarios that she thinks this is, I think she said the best outfield they've ever had, maybe the best infield. Could this, this could that be the case? Freshman class that they've ever had too. Can this team live up to the hype? Are they really that good from what you've seen and heard? Uh, I think yes. Offensively, without question, I think in the circle, there's still, and again, you've got Jen Rocha coaching the pitchers, like one of the best in the game. However, um, I think that their pitching staff has to stay healthy. And I, uh, that if something happens there, that's scary, but their offense is holy They're good. They're really good. Like, sorry. Like, holy cow. And I even said this on the seven innings podcast before they played, I said, everyone's going to be talking about UCLA, but mark my words at one point this season, OU will be ranked number one ahead of them. That's one of Tom's picks. I mean, had not you, he thinks UCLA is not going to be number one overall in the the tournament. Okay. This I'm going to hop on a UCLA bias for sure. We have known to been, to have been screwed in the past. And so has Alabama. So I will not, here's why, here's my, my reasoning is the sec is going to play more games in the pack. Pack games are inevitably going to get canceled because we're on the West coast and we're stricter with COVID. Then the RPI people, they're going to say they their strength of schedule hasn't been as good. They haven't had as, you know, haven't had as many games, haven't played on the road. We're not really going anywhere. And I think that there's a solid chance that UCLA is not the number one seed. Now here's where I will get very mad at the NCAA lady, as I like to call her, whoever that is. I just always (laughs) say the NCAA lady. Um, I will get upset if, if mathematically, if they're, if they don't allow UCLA and Oklahoma to end up in the championship game, which has happened before. And back in the early two thousands, when the PAC 12 was dominant, they did that quite they did that again. That's a bias. That's only an opinion. I don't know if they really did that, but they did that quite frequently where it was mathematically impossible for two Pac-12 teams to end up in the championship. So I'll be a little upset if we cannot have a rematch. I'm not saying not if we don't have a rematch, but if we cannot. Mm. Yeah. Well, my, well, I had two of my, my three, we do landmines or, or gold mines at the beginning of the season. And one of them was that I thought that UCLA would not be the number one overall seed, um, which basically I'm taking the field against UCLA. So it's not that I'm not that far out on the limb. And then, right. And then my second one was that I thought that they, the seating, uh, the committee seatings would be so off kilter that there would, it would actually lead to there being some sort of major change in how the, the tournament is seated which I think needs to happen anyway, but there might be enough of a, a, a groundswell against it if, if, there was, if they do such a poor job, which I think they're more than capable of doing. Wow. I mean, I would love if there were some changes. Now get back to me if you're going to ask me what changes I want to see. I need some time right. to develop that list. But I don't even know what, the, what those changes are yet, but right. there's something but needs to be seems, done. It just seems off, huh? It just seems like yeah. for the last few years it's been off, like almost like there needs to be some sort of point system or, or something. Yeah, uh, Gray made a great point. He said, you know, hopefully maybe move to something like a like the net, like what basketball uses instead of the RPI, which seem, it seems to be a little bit more fair, and especially in a year like this year where everyone's playing by different rules. Right. That's what makes it so hard is it's not an even playing field. And look, my mom always told me, Jennifer, life's not fair. I get that. But it truly is not an even playing field these days. I mean, let's talk about the Big Ten. They're only going to play Big Ten teams. That's going to crush their RPI. 
Yeah. yeah. All they have to do is play Michigan State and, you know, maybe one weekend with Minnesota gets rained out or something and yeah. boom. I mean, you're mm-hmm. you're going to be at best 50 in the RPI or something like that. Yeah. Jim, was there somebody this weekend that's outside of the top 10 that kind of caught your eye? Anybody making any big moves? Uh, Duke, for sure. Um, and also Mizzou. Honestly, I really liked watching Mizzou play. Duke, a lot of, in fact, Marissa Young actually just, just text me. Uh, but I think obviously them playing LSU really tough, beating them was huge. But there's something about Mizzou that's a not quit energy. And just this, they're just scrappy. And that scares me because I really think that they could win games people don't expect them to because of the chip on their shoulder. Yeah, we're both big on Missouri. I think I had them fourth in the in our preseason poll. Tom had them fifth, or maybe it was uh, maybe sixth in his preseason poll. Yeah, but it's right um, around there. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, we and we, again, this is something we, we talked about this past weekend. Missouri's not going to beat anybody 2 nothing. They're not going to win these 4-2 games. It's going to be 10-6. It's going to be 9-7. Yes. But they've got the offense to back that up, maybe more so than many other teams in the country. No, I agree with that. And, and another team also from the SEC is Arkansas. I mean, they played, they played OSU so tight where um, I think in certain polls, they're ranked below Mississippi State, which I don't agree with. I think that they should be ranked above Mississippi State. But of course, time will tell. That will play out. Rankings don't really matter in February. Uh, but I'll be interested to see. Arkansas has had glimpses of success since I started following that program when my sister was there. They've had really big wins, some really great players, but it seems like at the end, they just can't get the win that counts. Mm -hmm. And so I'll be really interested to see if they're able to kind of put it all together and get the wins that count down the line. I like that. Jen Schroeder here joining us on the Out of the Box podcast. As, uh, as we talk about everything around the country and, you know, a stat that we kept up with last year, Jim, was the upset stat. Last year in week one, we had 17 upsets, 12 of which were unranked overranked. This year, we had just a huge number, four, with three unranked overranked. Now, yes, uh, I texted this to Scarborough. She said, to be fair, you know, a lot of those ranked games were canceled. Basically, nobody played on Sunday except us and Auburn, but... Mm-hmm. At the same time, Tom and I talked a lot about the numbers. We didn't think that we would see numbers that high this year anyway. Do you think that the lower upset total trend will continue here in 2021? Yes, I do. However, I think if somebody, some team has to sit out a few weeks because of COVID or something happens, then then I feel like it's a crapshoot all around. I think in general, you've got, I really do think right now UCLA and Oklahoma are playing in a league of their own right now. And then you've got the teams that are probably in that five to 15 range. I feel like could almost be five, one day, 10, the next 15, the next six, the next. Right. And so to be really interesting, like some of those ranked wins or those, those upsets, Mm -hmm. it could be, it could be a team that could have been ranked higher than them. Right. Like you have a, like an LSU versus FSU, like that game could be played five times and go three times to one team, two teams to another time. Like, I don't think there's one team that's maybe necessarily that much better than the other team. So I don't think we're going to see a bunch of unranked teams beat ranked teams though. I really don't. Something else you talked about on the, in the seven innings podcast here was in the preview show that you guys did was that the, there's not that many, uh, the rules changes this year. Uh, there's a couple that are kind of minor, but nothing major. But one of the big things is that this year, 
uh, for numerous reasons, there is no bat testing. Um, hopefully, no one will have illegal bats, but you, that may happen at some point. And so are we on the lookout for this uh, team to come out of nowhere and lead the league in home runs that we've never heard of before? Yes. <laughs> Dixie State. <laughs> like Hawaii. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. without a doubt are you kidding me I, I, there's there's no bat testing oh my god that's Jim, why is nobody talking about this we all on the podcast know. it was the first time i'd heard about it and i was like wait what this is it's a huge so, story it's so weird i mean okay you bring up bat testing or illegal bats with Kayla bro and she will immediately have a seizure talking about that hawaii team right that beat them at the world series and i remember that so all i could think about is that hawaii team that pulled old eastons out of like a shed from 10 years prior and just like led the country in home runs (laughs) right now (laughs) Uh, that was why when we when we went to hawaii a couple of years ago for their tournament uh we talked to some people out there and they were like you guys still are still upset about uh, us meeting you as the 16 over the one it's like yeah we hold grudges we, yes. we hold grudges at alabama <laughs> i remember it and if i'm feeling something over it you the, the tide are feeling something <laughs> yeah but i have to ask as well i mean what does that mean we know that some of these teams have great pitching staffs we've talked about ucla we've talked about alabama we think texas is going to be good oklahoma's got a strong staff but will this year's national champion be much more determined by just one through nine how the offense looks because i mean for many years we've said you know you need a staff but could the lack of bat testing kind of make that quote unquote obsolete this year or am i overreaching a bit well i'm gonna say no only because i hope that's not the case i just hope that people's integrity and character is higher than that and I, i really hope that's not the case to not break the integrity of the sport um so that's how I'm going to answer that. But I don't know if that's out of like pure want or, or <laughs> actually using my brain. I'm not sure. Now I would, I would hope there would be enough coaches that would be like, guys, let's, let's all do the, do the right thing here. Well, I mean, think about it. Like somebody could get killed truly yeah. like with yeah. how fast those balls come off the bat, they're very dangerous. So it's just like, Oh, like at what point do you just draw the line? Yeah, Jen Schroeder joining us here on the Out of the Box podcast. Jim, before we let you go, what are you looking out for this weekend? It's week two. Hopefully, as I knock on wood, the weather will cooperate, and so will all the COVID testing that everything and all the teams will do going into week two. But but what's caught your eye, other than maybe Alabama LSU here in the second weekend? I mean, that's the one that's caught my eye, truly, is Alabama LSU. And to be very honest, I haven't looked ahead enough in the schedule because there were so many cancellations, and I feel like everyone just keeps getting canceled. Um, didn't Florida State also already get canceled, or yeah. is that just their midweek? Texas the mid- the too. Midweek. I mean, yeah. the, that right. Texas North Texas game was going to be really fun. Right. Oh, that game was going to be good. I was excited to see that game. So I'm. It's tough for me to even to, to even know really who's going to play because of that. So I'm I'm unsure. But but the LSU Bama game for sure. Are you guys playing them in a series or just a game? Just one game. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. We're it, it's part of the Bama Bash tournament. They're coming in so. But we'll all play five games, and we're only playing them once on Sunday. And who are you guys hosting? So LSU, who else? Liberty and Gardner-Webb. Okay. Yeah, so that uh, that LSU game, we were talking about it earlier, not making the game more than it is, but it is kind of the crown jewel of the weekend, maybe not just in Tuscaloosa, but also in the whole college softball landscape. In the country, I would say yeah. for sure. Yeah, that's going to be exciting. 
Well, I hope you tune in. We will be uh, the voices on the stream as well as on the radio. So we, you know, you can't get away from us, Jen. <laughs> awesome. I love it. <laughs> Jen Schroeder joining us here on the Out of the Box podcast. Jen, please uh, give Rudy a nice roll tide and we'll see you again soon. This has been fun. Sounds good. Bye, guys. Alrighty, that was Jen Schroeder. Now, Tom, it's time to get to some mail from fans. It's fan mail. The fans, not really of us, but of softball in general. Again, we'll take whatever we can get. It's fine. Yeah, thank you, you for listening. <laughs> Just happy people are listening. Uh, so Jen was great. We still suck it with her, but it's time to round third. We've got a mailbag. We've got some big non-SEC games in week two. Not a ton, but a couple that are really important, including the start of ACC play. We'll talk about that when we get back here on the Out of the Box podcast. Tom, somebody else has put it in the gap, and we're going home. We got the we got the signal to run. <laughs> Sounds good, and, and hopefully the defense is just fumbling it all around like Notre Dame did for us. We appreciate that. I mean, throws everywhere, carnival music, literally sung on the air by Tom Canterbury. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That was my musical debut uh, after six years as the play by play voice of the Crimson Tide. It's been a long time since I've sung on the air. Maybe we'll bring that back. I almost did on Sunday when I uh, referenced Let It Go from Frozen, saying that the cold <laughs> did not bother Montana Fouts. <laughs> I, that was one of the funniest memes I've seen going around right now is that whoever made Elsa mad needs to go apologize because <laughs> if, if she's responsible for this. That's Tom Canterbury. I'm Gray Robertson. We're rounding third here on the Out of the Box podcast. We've got some fan mail. Fans of softball sending right. in questions, chatting with us, Tom. And and we've got one that I think was a big question for Alabama in opening weekend. And that was, where's Maddie Morgan? And I know we kind of addressed it earlier, but this went a little bit deeper. Is there a chance of her at third with Jenkins and Dowling at second and short? Also, why no door behind the plate more? I miss Hemphill in the field. I will say that was kind of the one disappointing thing for me. I really wanted to see Bailey more at first base because I kind of teased it on the air on Sunday. I think she's one of the best, if not maybe top two defensive first baseman in the conference. And from what we saw, it seems like she will be catching and DPing for most of the year because you want Tao in at first base. Yeah, it's all about, I think, with the depth that Alabama has, that it's uh, more important to get the the best bats in the lineup than necessarily the best fielders in their, in their positions. You just got to find people that can play certain positions to get those best nine or 10 in the lineup. So uh, I think that's where that goes. I agree. I think Bailey plays a great first base and I think that there'll be a spot for her there at some point this season. Uh, I don't think we're going to, that we're only going to see Bailey either catching or DPing. I think she right. will play first some, uh, but you know, you don't, you wanted everybody else in the lineup. Who are you going to take out? Um, I do think that there is a possibility that, you know, Dowling can play second, Clara can play short and Maddie can play third. I think that's definitely uh, something we'll see some this year. The way things are looking right now, uh, that left side of the line, uh, left side of the infield, looks pretty settled. We'll see how it, how it goes moving forward, but I don't think it's necessarily something against Maddie Morgan. It's just, you know, who are you going to take out? I mean, he has said to us on the air privately, but because he said it publicly a couple of times, I think, you know, it's okay to say on the podcast, but Claire Jenkins can play any position and she might be the best at every position on the infield for right. Alabama. So you, you certainly can't take her out no matter what the bat's doing. I think that's one scenario where 
yeah, you want the best offense out there, but at the same time, she is your defensive quarterback and she's got to be out there in some capacity. That's probably true. So, but the fact that she can, she could play second if you had to, I'm there. She could play wherever. I thought the fact that we saw Taylor Clark play second in that game, I think that that was telling as well that, that she's available there. That's an extra spot. Um, second base seems to be the one that it, you'll see the most variety at this point. Uh, when we were doing our preseason fielding, I think both of us had Dowling at second. Yeah. Uh, so there's that's definitely a, a chance of that happening. Uh, one of the great things about this roster is that there's so many players that can play so many different positions. Uh, so my question, my answer to that question would be yes. I think there is a scenario where that happens. For sure. Another question. Murph mentioned maybe a redshirt pitcher, but we've already seen Torrance. So would that mean Salter? Uh, yes. If there is someone redshirted, it will be Salter. Will that happen? Right now, I would lean yes, because I think, you know, with the five, you're okay with it. With the way that the ruling goes, that would mean potentially three pitchers graduating at the same time with Kilfoyle, Salter, and Torrance. Might want to save somebody. I'm not going to speak for Patrick Murphy, but... I think it I think it was a little bit telling we did not see Alex Salter in week one. That would be if there is going to be one, because it's not going to be Crystal Goodman. Uh, you know, she's here for her sixth year. Uh, she was ready to take a job and decided to come back. So she's not going to redshirt. So if there is going to be a redshirt, she would be the only one that uh, Salty would be the only one that would be available to do so. We'll see. We'll see how the rest of the year goes. If there are injuries, hopefully not. Knock on wood, there aren't any. Uh, but if there are, um, that's why you have that depth. Uh, so that can ch- plans can change and a redshirt year can come in a year other than your freshman year too. So um, there's different, different ways that can be done. Uh, but if there's going to be one this year, it would have to be uh, salty. Yeah. And I think she's a special player again, a player we haven't really seen in practice, but we've heard very good things. She was highly yeah. rated and recruited coming out of high school. So, you know, maybe, maybe it's a good thing for her to get that year off to learn a little bit more before she plays in 2022, if she does redshirt. Sure. I'm not, I think it, it could be nothing but a good thing. I think that's one thing about the way softball has usually been where we don't see a lot of red shirts. We see a lot of people thrown in really quickly, uh, baptism by fire type situation. But now with the everybody getting the extra year, bigger rosters, I think we might have a chance to see some more pitchers, especially pitchers, but some hitters to take advantage of a, of a red shirt year and get themselves better acclimated to be able to really Uh, contribute their first time out all right another question asking for a prediction which team nationwide will have the most home runs by postseason what about in the sec nationwide tom i'm gonna go oklahoma i know shocker (laughs) yeah i I would say either oklahoma or ucla when oklahoma in game one sets the ncaa record for most home runs in a single game uh they have certainly put themselves in a great spot to start off with that they're going to face some competition that's going to allow them to hit a lot lot of home runs as is ucla uh so i'd say either one of them but i agree with you with oklahoma and then sec tom where are you leaning i'd probably go mississippi state and the bulldogs with uh with davidson davidson and follow law back to back a lot of power in that lineup that's how they're going to win games uh so i'm going to say mississippi state but that doesn't necessarily mean they have the best offense or that they will have the most wins by any stretch but they are the scariest lineup as far as power goes in my opinion I agree with the Mississippi State note. I would throw maybe LSU in there as well because a lot of the runs they scored in opening weekend was off the home run ball. Yeah. And if uh, if Bailey Hemphill uh, gets it going power-wise, I think Alabama can be in that in that conversation as well. 
All right, Tom, another one. Who will be the toughest opponent we face in the SEC? I know you pointed out the Georgia series. Uh, I don't know if that answers the same question, though. I think it's got to yeah. be Florida, right? I mean, yeah, I would say Florida for sure. Uh, yeah, that's two different questions. The 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 question we talked about last week was which was it like which series kind of jumps out at you as a possible a hiccup or a trap type series. And I thought that Georgia series does there, but I think the one that will be the biggest hyped and, and the toughest matchup will be the, the series with Florida considering we don't play LSU in a conference series this year. Totally agree. We've got a logistical question. Do we think that the increased amount of TV views in this sport this year will help propel the sport forward or will it hurt attendance in the future because people get used to watching it on TV I think I'm going to answer the second question a little bit here. We've kind of seen that with college football. Now, I think because these softball stadiums aren't 100,000 people, you're not going to have, you know, huge gaps. And let's be real, even at Rhodes, people weren't showing up for full capacity for like Wednesday games against Mississippi Valley State and stuff like that, even though those were on TV. And as the first part, absolutely. I mean, this sport keeps growing and From what Jen said way back when we talked to her at the end of season two, the World Series is going to be on ABC this spring. So I I think that there's nowhere to go but up for the sport of college softball, especially in a year that is so hyped with so many impactful rosters on really good teams. It's a sport that's made for TV. So I I think uh, TV will do nothing but help it continue to grow. I don't think it will affect attendance because, like you said, it's not like football to where – it is a full day. If you want to go to an Alabama football game, it is a full day. There's like there, you, you have your entire day is unless you have the 11 o'clock AM kickoff, you might be able to do something that night, but that, uh, but it is a full day situation as, as opposed to a softball game. You know, you can do other stuff during the day if you need to. Um, th- there's something about being at a softball game that's different than being on TV. I don't think it's going to, I don't think there are many people that would say, I'm going to stay home and watch it on TV unless weather is an issue. If weather is yeah. an issue, I could, you know, I could understand, like, I don't want to go out if it's too cold or if there's possible rain and you'll have to sit there for two or three extra hours. Doesn't seem to be an issue for Alabama fans, but I could see other people be like, yeah, I don't want to go do that. I'll just watch it on TV. But overall, I wouldn't think that's going to be an issue. Yeah, that being said, I do think that we could see, even with a 30% on Friday, that number be a little down against Liberty just because I think the high is like 39. So some people might just not want want to do that, which, you know, I understand. Sure, absolutely. It's a generational winter storm. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. And plus, I think there's also going to be in everything as we hopefully are moving back towards some semblance of normalcy out of COVID, there's going to still be some people that are going to be leery about getting in crowds. Yeah. Even if, even if you're vaccinated and everyone's wearing masks, people are still going to be a little bit leery of it. Just a psychological thing, uh, which I, I totally get. So I could see in, in sports other than softball, even in football this year, if you're, you know, in the 2021 season, say capacities that, closer to 75 to 100 percent instead of the 20 percent we saw this past year i could see the tenants being down a little bit just because people don't want to be in crowds yet all right two more tom before we dive into some non-sec games this weekend as we go over the fan mail mailbag here on the out of the box podcast who nationally has the best chance of being the cinderella team this year i'll let you take this one first cinderella what are we classifying as a cinderella like somebody that's 
out of the top 25 right now or maybe just not a normal blue blood type team? I'll go I'll go with the latter. I think somebody not a normal blue blood because I think Duke is probably going to be 20 to 25 most of the year, but I would still classify them as a Cinderella. You know, even yeah. if they were like a 16 seed, that would be very Cinderella-esque because this program has been around for like five years. Right, yeah. So I can definitely put uh, put them in there. Maybe like an Arkansas or a, a Missouri could be that type of team from the SEC. I haven't seen enough from the other Pac-12, Pac-12 teams, uh, but I wouldn't be shocked if somebody like that because you know, maybe like an Arizona State or somebody that, you know, they've had success before, but it's been, been a few years since they've been at that elite level. Maybe somebody like that that can thrive more in a we're playing everybody that we all that we know and we're able to maybe you know scheme to be able to beat somebody that they might not be able to on a regular basis yeah i think i will throw out some of the acc teams duke i think clemson maybe Cagle. i mean when she pitches they're they're a different team uh, we'll see if they can develop a little more around her but she is a remarkable talent and circling at the plate what about your boy pete yeah, I don't know. I need to see. I know they had another pitcher throw a shutout this weekend besides Keely Rochard, but I want to see that happen against Power Five schools, not Kennesaw State. Yeah. It's a good team. But if they do that this weekend with the slate that's coming up, and we'll get to that in a minute, I'll be uh, I'll be supremely impressed at Virginia Tech, and maybe I will buy in wholeheartedly. Okay. All right, last one, Tom. Since we're recording this on what they call Bachelor Monday – who from Bama SB players or support staff, I think we're included in this, would Ooh. be most likely the best bachelor or bachelorette? Wow. Who sent that question, first of all? Sydney Little John. Okay. Well, all right. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you have any thoughts? I'm trying to think of people on the team who would be really good on television. Um, I think Bailey Hemphill would be hilarious yes, on television. I, I think it would I just be with. fun to see her go through that. If we're, if we're throwing out, because we know new volunteer assistant is Morgan Lashley is engaged to, to Anthony, which we, we love both of them. But if we're saying that, you know, no one is attached beforehand, I think Morgan Lashley on the bachelorette would be gold. Morgan would be great. You know, I think, Allison Habits would be great TV as a bachelorette <laughs> because you would give some speeches that would riv I mean be riveting for America. Oh, 100%. People would the bachelors would be sent out without a rose but ready to run through a wall for Allison Habits. I'm not picking you, let me walk you out and by gosh those 30 seconds. I mean, <laughs> you are set for life, man. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right, that's the mailbag. That was good stuff. We'll do more of that later on in the year. (laughs) More Bachelor crossovers, if at all possible. Would either of us be good on there? I would be god-awful. No, I don't want this at all. I think think you'd you'd have fun. I think I could do okay. As as noted, I am the feelings of the two broadcasters that that we are in the booth. So I would probably be the one that would break down at some point (laughs) as a Bachelor. (laughs) <laughs> all i know is that the girls are not there to be friends gray they're not there it's to be not friends a sorority tom no no just remember that uh of course yeah I, uh. <laughs> my favorite thing of the bachelor is when they get jealous of each other to where it's like okay you're on a show where literally the guy's job is to date as many women as possible at the same time 
and you know that going in. How can you possibly get jealous of the other girls? It makes no sense. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, at times I'm like, all right, you know, maybe you just, you know, you're, you're trying to get time with the bachelor or the bachelorette, but then when they cry and they say, it's just not fair. I'm like, all right, like you, you did sign up for this show that's right. been going on for 25 years. This is not a surprise. <laughs> the other, this is not an unknown formula of what's happening. Yeah, as someone who watches The Bachelor and The Bachelorette recently, thanks to my cousin who's living with us for the next couple months, all in on Katie as the next Bachelorette for any uh, Bachelor Nation. You, that means nothing to you. but I mean, none. I'm usually watching Monday Night Raw, so I don't yeah. know. If, if Katie's a new Bachelorette, I'm here for it. None of the <laughs> other girls this year, though. I'm not, I don't really like anyone else. <laughs> Whoever it is will eventually be on Dancing with the Stars. I know that much. That and will win. <laughs> yeah, that's usually when I'm introduced to them is when they get on Dancing with the Stars. Little insight into my television viewing habits. Hey, I dig that. You know, Caitlin Bristow was my pick to win Dancing with the Stars this year. So that's yeah, there you go. Crossovers happening everywhere. Not much of a crossover. Well, I guess it's kind of a crossover in the ACC this weekend because a bunch of teams are just going to cities and playing each other as yeah. ACC pod play begins. That's Thursday to Sunday. I think the schedule is interesting in terms of just how it's laid out, but. We've got some fascinating opening pod play matchups, especially with Virginia Tech. They've got a doubleheader with Clemson Thursday. They play Clemson a third time Friday. Then on Saturday, a doubleheader with Florida State and then Florida State again on Sunday. I mean, just throw them right in the fire, Tom. Yeah, uh, that's yeah, Clemson, yeah, you're uh, around for the second year of your program. The first year was cut short by COVID. Now play the top two teams in the conference in pod play uh yeah that's that's a tough ask but uh, i could see clemson get, winning a game or two out of that pod which could ha have an effect on who wins the conference because these are conference games correct yeah they are so the way it goes is florida state georgia tech virginia tech and clemson are all in the same place florida state and georgia tech are playing for the first two days in a three-game series virginia tech and clemson are playing for the first two days in a three-game series and then it switches to Florida State, Virginia Tech, and Clemson, Georgia Tech. I don't know if Clemson, Florida State are matched up. I don't know if Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech match up. I haven't looked that far ahead. But yeah. I think it's interesting, and I think it's actually a really smart mini bubble for the ACC to try and get as many conference games in. Yeah, it, it, that's, that was the, uh, the plan and the reason why they're doing it this way. That was an option for the SEC when they were looking at the way they were going to do their conference scheduling, but see how it works out with the ACC and see if that – Again, just kind of makes it to where some of these pods might affect who wins the conference toward the end yeah. of the year. Something that happens very quickly. This is very early to be playing, playing conference games, something that they're not used to. So it's, it's hitting the ground running for some of these. Because, again, some of these teams had their entire first week wiped out from, uh, from weather, too. So now you're starting the year year with conference play. So that's, that's a tough go. Just, I think it's so interesting that Florida State, Virginia Tech are playing in the first pod play. I wonder if that was the league office saying, who knows what the season will look like. Let's make sure that our two best teams play so we can actually determine a champion. I can see that. Yeah, for sure. Other than the ACC, the non-SEC games, frankly, suck. The other <laughs> good ones, Washington at Dixie State is suddenly compelling. <laughs> yeah, that, who knew that was going to be the big rivalry of 2021 so far has been Dixie State and, and Washington. Dixie State, I didn't even realize, wasn't in Dixie. Dixie State is in Utah. They weren't that. in the Division One until like right. a week ago when their season <laughs> began. That, was, that Washington game, I think, was their first D1 softball game. 
wow. And they almost and they almost got him. And then elsewhere, UCLA, Cal State, Fullerton, that's a doubleheader. I mean, Cal State, Fullerton had a bad opening weekend. Oklahoma State, North Texas, Hope Troutwine could shut them down. But, I mean, I don't see upsets anywhere in those games. No, but sometimes it's those, are, those are the type of weekends where we do get the upset. So it's, it's still going to be worth, uh, worth tracking in the out-of-the-box scoreboard updates throughout the weekend. True. Week three, things spice up just a little bit. But yeah, I think basically, other than ACC play, I think the most compelling softball game of the weekend is Alabama LSU on Sunday. And I honestly don't think it's very close. Florida State, Virginia Tech has interest. I think just seeing how the ACC shakes out with pod play in week one is is fascinating. And we'll probably talk about that a lot next week. But elsewhere, it's Alabama LSU and then a bunch of games that could be interesting or they could be blowouts. Who knows? All right, Tom, are you ready to head home? Yes. Let's get into our SEC top five power rankings. Tom's hungry and an off the wall that you're not going to want to miss, folks. Mm. Oh, be it's going to be fun. It's time to head home, Tom. You're on the Out of the Box podcast. On the other side, we'll close out the show. Episode two of season three. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. The Out of the Box Podcast, Gray Robertson here, Tom Canterbury there. We're going to talk about a couple things as we head home here on the Out of the Box Podcast, but some things we've already done. We started at the plate, talked about Alabama. Then we advanced to first, talked about the SEC. Tom, in the conference where it just means more, it, it just meant more losses than most of the other Power Five leagues in week one, which, you know, that happens sometimes. I'm not sure it indicates much about the league as a whole, but there were a couple disappointing results for the conference. There were. I think you can take some of that into account, though, that um, the SEC probably is the conference that was able to play the most games total. Yeah. Um, you know, we saw a lot of cancellations, Big 12, ACC, uh, Pac-12. So the SEC had had more games to play. So uh, it meant more to us to play. So that meant more for us to lose sometimes. <laughs> we still second with Jen Schroeder. I mean, what a delight, as always. Even though she's a Bruin, she's all in on Alabama, Tom. That's why we like her. That's it. No other reason. Just kidding, Jen. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> then we rounded third, answered some questions, talked about some big non-SEC games in week two. And now, Tom, it's time to give our SEC top five power rankings. We'll trade off five all the way to one. We'll go through this pretty quickly. You go first, Tom. Who's your number five? Now, are these the five that do they have to have played? Is it based on what they did this past week or just still what we think preseason and onward? I'll say the latter. If your preseason, maybe if you didn't see enough from a team, but you're still high on them, then then you right. can okay. go one through five. Gotcha. All right. Well, then I'm going to uh, put Arkansas at number five, even though they only played the one game. Again, yet the struggle, but we didn't see their number one pitcher. Offensively, the fact that they were down and they were able to come back like they did against a good Oklahoma State team, I think they didn't have to say at number five for me. All right. Number five, I'm going to take Mississippi State. I'm not confident about it, but <laughs> yeah. I saw an offense that put up a lot of runs in two games against Miami of Ohio, and they they got a win. I mean, they came back. They were down late. They showed good fight. They found a way to not lose a bad game, quote-unquote, to a bad opponent, quote-unquote. I like seeing that from Samantha Ricketts' squad, and I think a game like that in really just tough conditions can condition a team – for when it matters most, when the opponents get tougher, and they will in a couple of weeks, they'll go to Austin and play Texas. So I've got Mississippi State at number five. Okay, I have no problem with that. At number four, I'm going to put LSU. 
just because, you know, they did, they did take the loss to Duke, but I still think, you know, they're, they're one of the top teams in the conference. You know, there are some issues there to lose the Duke team, even at, at home. So uh, I'll put LSU at four with ability to move up quickly if they have a good showing in Tuscaloosa this weekend. Yeah, I've got Missouri at four. Again, the pitching staff, that, that's the one thing holding me back. I know their offense is going to be good, but how good can they be against SEC pitching consistently? How good would they look against Montana Fouts if they saw her twice? I don't know. That being said, no Jazz Rollin opening weekend, and they still put up a bunch of runs. So yeah. I'm, I'm pretty high on Missouri. They're my number four. And, and I'm going to put them at number three. Uh, getting the win over Florida State, having a lead in both those games, going three and one in Tallahassee without arguably your best player offensively. Uh, I think Missouri's uh, showing that they're going to be a, a contender in this in this league. We'll we'll see how it continues moving forward. But I got them at number three after their, what they did this weekend. I'm flipping from you. I've got LSU number three because they were my number two, and I'm dropping them for the loss at Duke. I think how they lost was a little bit concerning. A bunch of errors early on. The pitching not totally shut down. And and the reason they scored a bunch of runs this weekend in all three games was because of the home run ball. They couldn't really sustain any offense. And again, if you listen to the Sunday game for Alabama LSU, either on radio or on SEC Network Plus, you're going to hear me talk about LSU's opening weekend situational hitting stats. Tom, they were very bad, very bad. So that is concerning to me, but I still think they're in that top three. So I've got LSU number three. All right, I'll put Florida number two, be able to win against South Florida in the first game where the Bulls were right with them and then just dominating them in game number two. They're going to be Florida. They're going to be good this year. I know there's people in the national polls still have them as the first team in the conference. Uh, I think Alabama's number one, but Florida's not far behind. Yeah, I've got Florida two as well. Um, Lugo's got to be better, but I, you know, I saw nothing that made me think less of them this weekend. So, I think pretty easy. I think we both got Alabama number one after an unbelievable yeah. start by the pitching staff and, and an offense that, again, situational hitting stats, not great, but that'll come around. Yeah. Four games without allowing a run is impressive, regardless about who you're playing. And then Alabama took advantage of what the opponent gave them. Uh, we, even when the long ball wasn't really coming along, the, the power wasn't being shown for the most part. Some of that, I think, is because of the, the conditions that Alabama was playing in. I did get the home runs from Tao and Dowling, but, you know, perfect game in game number one. And it wasn't just Montana Fouts as everybody was pretty dominant all, all weekend long. So those are our SEC top five power rankings for Tom. One Alabama, two Florida, three Missouri, four LSU, five Arkansas. For Gray, one Alabama, two Florida, three LSU, four Missouri, five Mississippi State. I kind of went more based on opening weekend than my preconceived notion coming into the year because I had state eight in the preseason. I think that'll be where they end up, but that's how we see things after week one. Yeah. I, I'd probably put Mississippi state right there at six. I, you know, I'm really high on them too. The fact that they had to get a walk off walk to beat Miami, Ohio in the first game, a little bit concerning. So that's why I didn't have them in the top five. Yeah. I think for me, Tennessee would be just right outside. I, I didn't love seeing a 3-2 win over Eastern Kentucky right after your run ruled them, but Ashley Rogers statistically looked really good. So you go. we'll, we'll see how the Lady Balls look with a full schedule, fingers crossed, in pencil for week two. <laughs> with games they knew were going to happen less than 24 hours beforehand. Totally. Are you ready for Tom's Hungry to come back? Yes. It's been like a year and a half. Oh, waited so long. And in a way, is it really back? Because... <laughs> <laughs> We've only got one restaurant to talk about. <laughs> so if you didn't hear the story, 
So we were uh, on our way to Austin, Texas. Uh, we had to leave. We're traveling separately from the team. So we were driving, uh, made it to Clinton, Mississippi. We had stopped for lunch at a, a local place known as Nukes in, in Clinton, Mississippi, when we got the call to turn around and head back to Tuscaloosa, the, the tournament had been canceled. And uh, just a shout out to the Nukes in Clinton, Mississippi, the Nukes queue, just as good as it is here in Tuscaloosa. Tom's hungry, somewhat back with a critique of Nukes in Clinton, Mississippi. It's just off the interstate. It's not like right there. Uh, we kind of were, were looking for a place that didn't have a drive through that was uh, had cars out the uh, out into the street. And, oh, there's Nukes. We know Nukes. It was nice. It was actually one of the better Nukes queues I've had. And folks around Clinton, Mississippi, you know, you know, the exit's on the way to Dallas. Uh, you know, a lot of people drive through there. It's right down the street from Mississippi College. So mm-hmm. it's very easy to find. And so there um, you go. And I think it was good comfort food, considering how devastated we were yeah. as we were eating, hearing the tournament was canceled. I can't remember what I said to you. I had ordered. I turned around. You were on the phone. And you said, tournament's off. And I kind of blacked out for a second. <laughs> right. I had just horrible flashbacks. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, it was good. It was a good lunch. And now we've got Tom's Hungry off until March 12th. Mama Goldberg's, I guess, we'll, we'll talk about we'll, something. We'll, Fry up the dips at the lake. That's there you go. I know those are good. I've had those before. <laughs> and go now ahead and put the breakfast casserole in right now. So it'll be ready. And Nathan Sheehan somewhere is laughing. That is a deepest of deep cuts. Mm, like four people know about it. <laughs> All right. It's time. Are you ready? You know what's coming. Yes. It's time I'm for off gonna, the wall. I'm going to do what we call in the business layout and let the other person just go with this one. Thank you, Tom. Oh boy. All right. We just told the story about the Texas tournament being canceled. That was Thursday. Thursday night, we had these games scheduled. Two in Montgomery, Friday and Saturday. One doubleheader on Sunday. Spur of the moment. Now keep in mind, this is a week ahead, folks. A week ahead of when the first home games were supposed to be played at Rhodes. We were told the field wasn't even going to be ready until Sunday. And the equipment was not even close, nor was the manpower. But what are all the complaints on the social media, on the message boards? Why is there no stream? Why is there no video stream? And then even better, Alabama should take note from Alabama State. Why don't we have something like this, they said, a single camera YouTube live feed. Let me address a couple things here. First off, we, we talked about patience. There are like 25,000 sports going on at one time right now. And most importantly going on right now is basketball and women's basketball. In a regular year, there would be very few linear, quote unquote, television games anyway, because most of the days in which softball is played, women's and men's basketball are also being played. Some of those digital games would have our feed anyway, just because of how things are with the winter sports, gymnastics, men's and women's basketball, all that. You throw in some fall sports that carry over, there's just not much space. And I don't blame programmers for wanting men's and women's basketball, which is almost over regular season wise, and the tail end of volleyball, again, a couple more weeks there, and the soccer season, which has, I think, four weeks to be on over early softball. As much as we love softball, I get the programming decisions. 
from those that make those choices. That being said, there was a spur-of-the-moment game scheduled at Rhodes, a spur-of-the-moment doubleheader. Louisville came over from Columbia. They were on the way to Columbia, and they were like, nope, we're going to go to Tuscaloosa and play on Sunday, knowing that the South Carolina tournament would be rained out. And I just can't get over the spoiled nature of so many fans demanding a video stream for this game that had just been scheduled. Equipment was not ready. Manpower was not available. I just, I have, I have such a problem with the entitlement by some fans, because here's the thing, and I'm not trying to pat us on the back, but some teams would play that game and have nothing, nothing, no radio, but there are teams like Alabama, like Tennessee, like Auburn, like Florida, I think Louisiana Lafayette, that have radio. But I, I know it doesn't fill two hands. So there was coverage. Every game is covered in some capacity, folks. And I just don't understand the spoiled nature of wanting every single game to be shown and expecting it to be shown when this is a sport that really that wasn't happening for like five years ago. Right. Second thing I want to point out, a lot of people saying Alabama needs their own network like Texas does. Alabama needs their own stream like Alabama State does. Folks, they have it. It's called the SEC Network. Every <laughs> other home game and conference game will be streamed. I know because I am assigned to some of those games. I have seen my assignments, but... To say Alabama never puts out these games, don't act like you you don't have access to the sport. There's radio every game. Every home and conference game is streamed. Every away conference game is streamed. And there will be more games this year, I think, than people realize based on, again, the TV schedule I've seen that will actually be on real TV. Now, again, that could change. There could be less. There could be more. But still, please, 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 don't swamp our feeds and swamp the Facebook pages with why can't they stream this? Why can't they get this together? I don't give a rat's behind how much money you pay to the university. They use that money maybe to buy the equipment, but if it's not in, they can't do it. There's more I could say, Tom. My mind is racing right now. I hope I'm not going on too many tangents and I'll probably have to edit a couple things to make it sound coherent, but I know you've got more to add. No, I think, I think you're dead on the, there's, there's so many different things to go on. There's different reasons why some things can happen and some other things can't happen. The numerous people are saying, well, just throw it on Facebook Live, that type of stuff. I'm pretty sure in the rights-holding agreement that the SEC and Alabama is a part of, you can't. <laughs> that, is, that is one of the yeah. things. They would not want you to be able to do that. That's why the Crimson Tide Sports Network when they have their booth cams and things like that, they're not showing the action. They're showing the commentators talking about the action. So there is legal issues to be involved in all that kind of stuff. This was a special situation. This was a you know, just one of those things. There's not going to be another time where we're going to have a, a game that is just added to the schedule uh, when little to no notice. Also, by the way, we're still in a pandemic. There, there, so things that even in, in certain air times would have been possible uh, just because of space and availability of bodies that it's not available this time. That's why there weren't any fans allowed in the stands for this Louisville game. 
again, to act like there is no coverage is incorrect. They were, we have it on radio every single game. Even the games that are streamed, we're on the radio. You can get coverage. You can follow right along with us. Stat broadcast is available. The link is on the website for every game as well. Live stats. Yeah. I mean, and again, I love the fact that there that people want to follow and want to watch every game. And we, I want, I'm happy about that. I'm glad that that's the Alabama fan mindset and I, and I'm happy for it, but you know, just a little bit of perspective would be great. You know, you're wanting the, why can't we have what Alabama state has? Oh, you mean that one camera feed that you were complaining about because there was a pole in front of first base. Oh, you (laughs) want that? That's what you want. Just the fact that you get every game except for one or two. If we go to Coleman, Alabama and play a game, we'll probably won't be able to stream that one. But just, you know, follow along with us. Come to Coleman. Do that, you know, make the road trip. It's just, it is frustrating that the the entitlement, like you said, the, the spoiled nature of everything. We, every, we sh- everything should be right here for us at all times. It, it is frustrating. It is also frustrating when a post will will show will have the link to the live stream and there are comments underneath it of where's the link to the live stream it's yeah. literally on the post that's right there I, who's yeah who's pitching it's literally on the post of the lineup that we just posted it just uh, it's uh, that type of stuff it's it's as though people are just waiting to complain about something and they'll put it right there and again this is not everybody this is the 0.5 percent 99.5 are great I mean, I tried my best yesterday to educate the masses. Anytime I saw it's not being broadcast, I said, psych, yes, it is. 93.3 FM, as it Mm -hmm. is every game. Anytime I saw somebody comment, it says they're not streaming this week or the next. I said, if you look at the ESPN Mm -hmm. website, SEC website, I don't know what RollTide.com says, but, you know, the Google machine does look up a lot more than just Facebook. I'm just saying it's not that hard to look up some of these things and Folks, at what point, at what point in the last six years, I think it was 2014, maybe 2012, that the SEC network was invented, at what point was an Alabama home game not streamed before? At what point? Yeah. I know the last three years because I've had that streaming schedule. So, again, I go back to the Alabama needs something like Alabama State has. They've had it. They've had it more than any other school in the country, the SEC is beyond blessed. What I want, do I want every single Alabama softball game to be on regular linear TV? That would be great. I would love that. But that's just not realistic. And, there are but other teams. There are other teams. There are, there are only so many linear channels you can have. But every game is streamed. Every single one of them. I know that's not always the easiest thing to do. But once you've done it a time or two, it becomes easier, I promise. Go through the process one time, and you'll be able to figure it out. Ah, so frustrating. And uh, that we don't get any coverage till May. What? <laughs> Every single game. In case anyone noticed, there was an opening in the SEC Network schedule on Saturday. And because of uh, one of the men's basketball games being postponed or canceled, I think it was A&M's, LSU-Kansas, a just – horrible matchup that was somehow a <laughs> game because LSU played down to the opponent was on national television. Right. And that's going to happen some this year. It's as though people have their same complaints they had in 2005 and are still making those same complaints in 2021 even and are not coming along with the times. 
because in 2005 i could see that 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 statement being made yeah i want i want to see more softball before we get to the national championship games and and into the tournament i agree yeah i want to see more softball in 2005 it's 2021 you're getting a lot of softball i promise there were a hundred games that were scheduled to stream an opening weekend a hundred yep plus like if there are games that are at a tournament like it in alabama state it's it's one it's one camera but you're if you want to watch it it's available to you that was remarkable that we could i mean right and really and good quality everything it was really good i was worried that there was going to be crashes or things there wasn't any of that it was on youtube it, it was it was rolling it was really good you know for a for a, a swack program playing softball I, I was perfectly fine with that broadcast anybody that was watching it should be it's just very frustrating that that's not enough for some people i just want to reinforce a couple things just again as my final point every game this year is on radio every single one and it's the same channel. I saw some people saying, why is there no radio link for game two of Louisville? Because my gosh, you think we change radio stations? No, it is the <laughs> same link. Praise Literally the same one. FM. Crimson Tide Sports Network, every game we're on the air 10 minutes before. Listen to us talk to Patrick Murphy because he's given us some really good stuff this year. Oh, and yeah. It's, uh, it's always worth a listen. Number two, every home and conference game will be streamed from here on out on SEC Network Plus or watch ESPN, or on TV. The only game I'm not sure about is the UAB road game. And Tom, I think UAB has a streaming network, maybe Conference USA TV or something, where you'll be able to watch. So if that's your concern, stop asking. And if you want to know what what channel the game's on, it's on the graphic. We're not hiding it. Just, Just click the link. It's right there. Nathan Sheehan does a tremendous job of keeping everyone informed about where everything is going to be. Yeah. And it softball it is sometimes can be a tough sport to do that because there are changes and when you're playing in tournaments when you have double headers uh when there are rainouts elsewhere things can change and they can change very quickly but alabama nathan sheehan as a sports information director is you know bends over backwards to make sure everyone knows where they can watch these games yeah all you have to do just look at the graphic look, look at the post don't don't be sitting there ready to comment and complain on the post. Just look at the post and, and figure it out. That's off the wall. I'm just going to tag that clip to any what channel is this on comments, I see. Right. Just uh, listen to this. Boom. All right. And so after we just spent 15 minutes complaining about the fans, folks, this weekend, if you're at Rhodes, come we by and see us. Yeah. We love all of you. And we really do. Again, we're, we're not talking to the 99.5% of you that are, are tremendous. We're talking to the people whose names I've written down because, as I said, <laughs> I'm keeping the receipts. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure I remember who said certain things. But we do have gear. We have koozies. We have farcical stickers that we will be giving out at Rhodes. So, you know, make sure if you're coming by, make sure you come by well before the game. You know, stop by. We'll give you a sticker. Make sure you're wearing a mask because uh, we are trying to, I guess, radio bubble ourselves. I don't want yeah. to be out for two weeks. I know you don't either you know, just be, be mindful of that as well. Yeah. And do the, I mean, just follow the protocols that are being out there. If you are coming to the games uh, there, we noticed the green check marks are already down on the seats on where you're allowed to sit to keep the social distance, Uh, wear the mask, use the hand sanitizer. We're seeing the numbers keep going down. So we can be toward the end of this. If everyone will just continue uh, to, to 
be responsible for yourself and others and uh and but still have fun we're so glad we're going to be able to have a crowd at the roads house jen schroeder was shocked we were having crowds because she's living in california just be excited that we're going to be able to have softball and you're going to be able to be there enjoy it all right let's sign off tom where can the people find you on twitter t canterbury rtr on the twitter where i was congratulating montana fouts for winning the sec pitcher of the week this week and uh we'll we'll give you some fun facts and figures there if you follow us at t canterbury rtr yeah you can follow me at gray g-r-a-y underscore robertson of course the show at out of the box underscore pod odds are that's how you found this episode (laughs) big thanks to jen schroeder she might be tuning in again our broadcast will be through the sec network plus this weekend again all five games will be streamed everyone but they're also on radio tom and how do people find those yeah, you, if you're in Tuscaloosa, you can listen to us on the over-the-air radio on 93.3 FM outside of the city of Tuscaloosa. The best bet would be able to either download the app. There's an app in the App Store on both uh, on the Google and on iPhone where you can download. It's a Praise 93.3 FM app, and you can stream everything there uh, if you download it there. And there's also, as we mentioned, on RollTide.com on the schedule page a link to live audio for every game. And if for some reason there's not that one particular game, just click on one of the other ones. It's the same link. I promise. Goes to the same place. The app doesn't change. (laughs) All year long, we're on the praise. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. Where's the title? (laughs) Anything else you want to add, Tom, before we head out? I just, I want to, again, stress, we're not mad at almost anybody in the Alabama fan base. Just the 0.5%. Right. And if you see somebody asking, please inform them of how you yes. can watch and listen. Be We're nice trying to be informative. Yes. I just, my frustration leaked like a volcano <laughs> slowly oozing or maybe like a winter storm dumping oh. snow down on the south. You can only bang your head against the wall so often. Mm. All right, that's it for this edition of Out of the Box. A big thank you to Jen Schroeder for joining us tonight. And of course, thank you listeners We hope you enjoyed. Thanks for listening to another episode. Your support means the world. We've got five games this weekend. Liberty doubleheader on Friday starting at 4 Central. Gardner-Webb doubleheader on Saturday at 3 Central. And LSU at 1. Radio on 93.3 FM. Those broadcasts will also be simulcast on SEC Network Plus. So we are everywhere. Make sure you tune in. Tom, it's going to be fun to be back at Rhodes with other people this time. 30% capacity, and I know on Sunday they will be out there in force for that big matchup with LSU. Yep, it's going to be huge. So for my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson saying so long. One weekend down, so much more ahead this season. We'll see you next time on the Out of the Box Podcast.